0: Section nineteen of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Parar. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume Seven, by various authors. Section nineteen. The Preternatural in Fiction by Sir Richard F. Burton Sir Richard F. Burton, 1821-1890 to 1890. It has sometimes been said that the roving propensities of Sir Richard Burton are attributable to a slight infusion of gypsy blood, but if this pedigree were to be assumed for all instinctively nomadic Englishmen it would make family trees as farcical in general as they often are now at any rate burton early showed a love for travel which circumstances strengthened although born in hertfordshire england he spent much of his boyhood on the continent where he was educated under tutors he returned for a course at oxford after which at twenty-one he entered the indian service for nineteen years he was in the bombay army corps the first ten in active service principally in the send survey on sir charles napier's staff he also served in the crimea as chief of staff to general blossom and was chief organizer of the irregular cavalry for nearly 26 years he was in the english consular service in africa asia south america and europe in 1852 when upon leave captain burton accomplished one of his most striking feats disguised as an afghan moslem he went on a pilgrimage to mecca and medina in the hope of finding out something of the great eastern wilderness marked Ruba el kala the empty abode on our maps for months he successfully braved the imminent danger of detection and death conspicuous among his explorations is his trip of eighteen fifty six, when, with Speak, he discovered the lake regions of Central Africa. The bitter Speak controversy which followed, dividing geographers for a time, into two contending factions, deprived Burton of the glory which he merited, and drew upon him much unfriendly criticism. He had the true ardour of the discoverer in first footsteps in eastern africa he shows his unhesitating bravery again when penetrating the mysterious almost mythical walled city of harar after many dangers and exhausting experiences he sees the goal at last the spectacle materially speaking was a disappointment he says nothing conspicuous appeared but two great minarets of rude shape many would grudge exposing their lives to win so paltry a prize but of all that have attempted none ever succeeded in entering that pile of stones richard burton carefully worded his varied experiences and has left about 50 valuable and interesting volumes among the best known are sind the lake regions of central africa two trips to gorilla land and ultima thule with his knowledge of thirty-five languages and dialects he gained an intimate acquaintance with the people among whom he lived and was enabled to furnish the world much novel information in his strong straightforward style perhaps his most noteworthy literary achievement was his fine translation of the arabian nights which appeared in eighteen eighty five of this his wife wrote this grand Arabian work I consider my husband's magnum opus. We were our own printers and our own publishers, and we made, between September 1885 and November 1888, 16,000 guineas, 6,000 of which went for publishing, and 10,000 into our own pockets. And it came just in time to give my husband the comforts and luxuries and freedom that gilded the five last years of his life. When he died there were four florins left which i put into the poor-box this capable soldier and author was very inadequately recompensed as a soldier his bravery and long service brought him only the rank of captain in the civil service he was given only second-class consulates the french geographical society and also the royal geographical society of england each awarded him a gold medal but the latter employed him upon only one expedition at the age of sixty-five he was knighted he had no other honors the lack of recognition was undoubtedly a mortification although toward the end of his career he writes philosophically the press are calling me the neglected Englishman, and I want to express to them the feelings of pride and gratitude with which I have seen the exertions of my brethren of the press to procure for me a tardy justice. The public is a fountain of honour which amply suffices all my aspirations. It is the more honourable as it will not allow a long career to be ignored because of catechisms or creed. He comforted himself no doubt with the belief that his outspoken scepticism was the cause of this lack of advancement and that he was in some sort a martyr to freedom of thought but one may be excused for discrediting this in the face of so many contrary instances capable men are too scarce to throw aside for such things in the century the real and sufficient reason was his equally outspoken criticism of his superior officers in every department a subordinate may and often does know more than his masters but if he wishes the luxury of advertising the fact he must pay for it with their ill-will and his own practical suppression lady burton was also an author her inner life in syria and arabia egypt and india are bright and entertaining but her most important work is the life of sir richard f burton published in eighteen ninety two two years after her husband's death this unorganized mass of interesting material in spite of carelessness and many faults of style and taste shows her a ready observer with a clever and graphic way of stating her impressions the preternatural in fiction from the essay on the book of a thousand nights and a night as the active world is inferior to the rational soul says bacon with his normal sound sense so fiction gives to mankind what history denies and in some measure satisfies the mind with shadows when it cannot enjoy the substance and as real history gives us not the success of things according to the deserts of vice and virtue fiction corrects it and presents us with the fates and fortunes of persons, rewarded and punished according to merit. But I would say still more. History paints, or attempts to paint, life as it is, a mighty maze with or without a plan. Fiction shows, or would show us, life as it should be, wisely ordered and laid down on fixed lines." thus fiction is not the mere handmaid of history she has a household of her own and she claims to be the triumph of art which as goethe remarked is art because it is not nature fancy la folle de logis is that kind and gentle portress who holds the gate of hope wide open in opposition to reason the surly and scrupulous guard as palmerin of england says and says well for that the report of noble deeds doth urge the courageous mind to equal those who bear most commendation of their approved valiancy this is the fair fruit of imagination and of ancient histories and last but not least the faculty of fancy takes count of the cravings of man's nature for the marvellous the impossible and of his higher aspirations for the ideal the perfect she realizes the wild dreams and visions of his generous youth and portrays for him a portion of that other and better world with whose expectation he would console his age the imaginative varnish of the nights serves admirably as a foil to the absolute realism of the picture in general we enjoy being carried away from trivial and commonplace characters scenes and incidents from the matter-of-fact surroundings of a workaday world a life of eating and drinking sleeping and waking fighting and loving into a society and a mise-en-scene which we suspect can exist and which we know do not every man at some turn or term of his life has longed for supernatural powers and a glimpse of wonderland. Here he is in the midst of it. Here he sees mighty spirits summoned to work the human might's will, however whimsical, who can transport him in an eye twinkling whithersoever he wishes, who can ruin cities and build palaces of gold and silver, gems and jessants, who can serve up delicate viands and delicious drinks in priceless chargers and impossible cups and bring the choicest fruits from farthest orient here he finds magas and magicians who can make kings of his friends slay armies of his foes and bring any number of beloveds to his arms and from this outraging probability and outstripping possibility arises not a little of that strange fascination exercised for nearly two centuries upon the life and literature of Europe by the knights, even in their mutilated and garbled form. The reader surrenders himself to the spell, feeling almost inclined to inquire, and why may it not be true? His brain is dazed and dazzled by the splendors which flash before it by the sudden procession of jinns and gynnias demons and fairies some hideous others preternaturally beautiful by good wizards and evil sorcerers whose powers are unlimited for weal and for woe by mermen and mermaids flying horses talking animals and reasoning elephants by magic rings and their slaves and by talismanic couches which rival the carpet of solomon hence as one remarks these fairy tales have pleased and still continue to please almost all ages all ranks and all different capacities dr hoxworth observes that these fairy tales find favor because even their machinery wild and wonderful as it is has its laws and the magicians and enchanters perform nothing but what was naturally to be expected from such things, after we had once granted them existence. Mr. Heron rather supposes the very contrary is the truth of the fact. It is surely the strangeness, the unknown nature, the anomalous character of these supernatural agents here employed, that makes them to operate so powerfully on our hopes, fears, curiosities, sympathies, and in short on all the feelings of our hearts we see men and women who possess qualities to recommend them to our favour subjected to the influence of beings whose good or ill-will power or weakness attention or neglect are regulated by motives and circumstances which we cannot comprehend and hence we naturally tremble for their fate with the same anxious concern as we should for a friend wandering in a dark night amidst torrents and precipices, or preparing to land on a strange island, while he knew not whether he should be received on the shore by cannibals waiting to tear him to piecemeal and devour him, or by gentle beings disposed to cherish him with fond hospitality. Both writers have expressed themselves well. But me seems each has secured, as often happens, a fragment of the truth, and holds it to be the whole truth. Granted that such spiritual creatures as jinns walk the earth, we are pleased to find them so very human, as wise and as foolish in word and deed as ourselves. Similarly, we admire in a landscape natural forms like those of Staffa or the Palisades, which favor the works of architecture. Again, supposing such preternaturalisms to be around and amongst us the wilder and more capricious they prove the more our attention is excited and our forecasts are baffled to be set right in the end but this is not all the grand source of pleasure in fairy tales is the natural desire to learn more of the wonderland which is known to many as a word and nothing more like central africa before the last half century Thus the interest is that of the personal narrative of a grand exploration to one who delights in travels the pleasure must be greatest where faith is strongest for instance amongst imaginative races like the celts and especially orientals who imbibe supernaturalism with their mother's milk i am persuaded writes mr bale st john that the great scheme of preternatural energy so fully developed in the thousand and one Nights is believed in by the majority of the inhabitants of all the religious professions both in Syria and Egypt. He might have added, by every reasoning being from prince to peasant, from Mullah to Badawi, between Morocco and Outer Ind. Dr. Johnson thus sums up his notice of the Tempest. Whatever might have been the intention of their author these tales are made instrumental to the production of many characters diversified with boundless invention and preserved with profound skill in nature extensive knowledge of opinions and accurate observation of life here are exhibited princes courtiers and sailors all speaking in their real characters there is the agency of airy spirits and of earthy goblins the operations of magic the tumults of a storm the adventures on a desert island the native effusion of untaught affection the punishment of guilt and the final happiness of those for whom our passions and reason are equally interested we can fairly say this much and far more for our tales viewed as a tout ensemble in full and complete form they are a drama of eastern life and a dance of death made sublime by faith and the highest emotions by the certainty of expiation and the fulness of atoning equity where virtue is victorious vice is vanquished and the ways of allah are justified to man they are a panorama which remains can speckle upon the mental retina they form a phantasmagoria in which Archangels and angels, devils and goblins, men of air, of fire, of water, naturally mingle with men of earth, where flying horses and talking fishes are utterly realistic, where king and prince meet fisherman and pauper, lamia and cannibal, where citizen jostles badawi, eunuch meets knight, the kazi hopknobs with the thief the pure and pious sit down to the same tray with the pander and the procurus, where the professional religionist the learned koranist and the strictest moralist consort with the wicked magician the scoffer and the debauchee poet like abu noas where the courtier just with the boar and where the sweep is bedded with the noble lady and the characters are finished and quickened by a few touches swift and sure as the glance of sunbeams, the whole is a kaleidoscope where everything falls into picture gorgeous palaces and pavilions, grisly underground caves and deadly walls, gardens fairer than those of the spirit, seas dashing with clashing billows upon enchanted mountains, valleys of the shadow of death, air voyages and promenades in the abysses of ocean, the duello, the battle, and the siege the wooing of maidens, and the marriage rite. All the splendor and squalor, the beauty and baseness, the glamour and grotesqueness, the magic and the mournfulness, the bravery and baseness of oriental life are here. Its pictures of the three great Arab passions, love, war, and fancy, entitle it to be called Blood, Musk, and Hashish, and still more, the genius of the story-teller quickens the dry bones of history and by adding fiction to fact revives the dead past the caliphs and the caliphate return to baghdad and cairo whilst Esmodius kindly removes the terrace roof of every tenement and allows our curious glances to take in the whole interior this is perhaps the best proof of their power finally the picture gallery opens with a series of weird and striking adventures and shows as a tailpiece an idyllic scene of love and wedlock in halls before reeking with lust and blood end of section 19